0: Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year to all of you. Um, I think this is my first time seeing you on camera in 2021. Last week, we had planned um, to say Happy New Year to you as a family. So we got the boys all nicely dressed. I even brushed my hair. Um, And then You know, while we were setting up a few more things, the boys were mucking around on the couch and around the equipment. And we told them to stop, just sit down and be still. And after like five seconds, they started mucking around again. And we finally told them, forget it, go upstairs. Um, And so sometimes things don't go quite as we plan. And I think we've seen that over and over again in 2020. And we're going to see it in 2021. Because if there's one thing that you can predict, it's that unpredictability. Um Things are always changing, whether it's our circumstances or even ourselves and other people. So the question is, how can we plan for change when we know from experience that our circumstances are unpredictable? And how can we you know, make and keep New Year's resolutions when good choices seem so difficult to navigate in all the uncertainties? And how do we, how do we bring about positive change in a world that is changing in so many different ways? Professor uh, Katie Milkman is a behavioral scientist researching and teaching about how and why people make choices, and she has a new book coming out this year um, called How to Change, the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, and basically she has discovered through various research that change comes most readily when we understand the obstacles between us and success and can adapt accordingly. So when we understand that, yeah, things don't go according to plan. So we have to plan for that unpredictability. We have to we have to plan so that our 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 choices can still go ahead despite the changes in circumstances. So for example, you know, many of us want to work out and exercise and be healthier in twenty twenty one. But I don't know about you, but I've had this resolution for like two decades now. And and uh, it's so hard to keep it going. And why is that? Well, it's because, you know, um, something comes up and I get busy or, oh, it's raining and I don't want to go outside or oh, I don't feel well today or, oh, there's a phone call, right? There's all these things that pop up. Um, but um, Professor Katie Bickman talks about how one way that we can you know, make these choices and and stick to them and and successfully carry them out is that you you couple and you plan for the adaptation. Um, So for example, if you want to work out, but exercise is boring for you, find a way to make it fun. For example, going with a friend, right? So you know that you're not going to be motivated in the morning by yourself. And so you find someone who's going to be um, keep you accountable, who can make it fun so that you actually want to go. Or maybe you've got an interesting podcast that you can listen to while you're working out. So um, there are things you can do to make the choices stick. Last year, our Nike Run and Walk Challenge um, got me moving more than I ever have, probably. So thank you for doing them with me. Um, I need a lot of accountability, so if you want to... Uh, you know, remind me or better yet, join me in, um, you know, exercise and health challenges this year, please let me know. You know, it's tempting whenever we think about change, um, to think that it's only for the lucky and the strong, especially when it comes to spiritual habits and disciplines and temptations. When we struggle with the same things over and over again, we, we get discouraged and we wonder, is change really possible? And I think sometimes we either just, give up altogether or we continue to make unrealistic demands of ourselves and others right why can't we change getting frustrated why can't they change and getting angry i'd like to look at some of the misconceptions we have about change by looking at the story of a man named captain naaman found in the book of second kings chapter 5 in the bible captain naaman was the commander of the syrian or the um, the Ar- aramean army uh, which had defeated the Israelites. And so here he is, the victor, right? And it was around 850 BC, and he's got both fame and fortune. But there was just one problem. It says in 2 Kings 5, verse 1, Now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram, which is also called Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Adam. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Leprosy was the term um, in those times given for any kind of skin condition. So it could have been as mild as, you know, a few kind of skin patches and, and discoloration and discomfort, or it could have been really extreme to the point that You know, it was the kind of leprosy that left uh, the nerves to malfunction, so that you could not feel pain, and you would lose your extremities. You know, uh, because you don't know that your finger is on, you know, is getting chopped or on fire, etc. And then you get infections in your body, um, and so many of them would die. And so these patients were misunderstood; they didn't understand the disease, and they were quarantined in leper colonies. So, leprosy for Naaman was was in a way. not just a death sentence, but it meant the end of everything that he held dear, right? He would have to be separated um, from society, from family. He would lose his you know, hard-worked career um, and all his wealth and fortune. And so at the height of his power and wealth, Captain Naaman um, had this unexpected twist in his life. And nothing, no man of wealth, no man of honor could heal him. But God had a plan for him. So we read on in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, these Arameans or Syrians, like I said, had probably killed this little girl's family. And so she was left an orphan. By their deeds, and she had been taken as a slave to serve um, Naaman's wife. So here she is in this foreign country, in enemy territories, so to speak. But instead of living in bitterness, which so many of us um, could have done, and as, as we see around the world, there are people who, who, who um, because of their bitterness, can't let go of certain things. And this little girl, instead of, instead of um, you know, she had every right to be angry, to be frustrated, to be sad, to be upset, um, and to, and to um, you know, think that Naaman's leprosy was a good, you know, just dessert for what he had done um, in, in conquering Israel and killing her family, etc. But instead of responding in vengeance, this little girl has this incredible kindness and forgiveness and generosity in her heart that not only does she think that he can be healed. She knows he can be healed. And this theology is actually quite incredible and centuries ahead of our time, because for so long, people thought that God blesses those who are close to him. God blesses those who follow him and that everyone else is doomed, right? That, that, That the God of Israel is for Israel. And and we see that centuries later, when Jesus' disciples are are with Jesus, and a, a woman from a foreign country comes and begs Jesus to heal her daughter, that the disciples are thinking, ah, oh, healing, healing is only for the Israelites, right? And Jesus even tests the disciples to see, do they understand his theology? And they didn't, right? And Jesus has to show them that God is there for everyone. But here is this young Israelite girl almost a millennia before the time of Jesus, who understands that God not only can heal Captain Naaman, but there's a certainty. She says he will, right? He will cure him of his leprosy because she understands that God loves everyone. And she's willing to share this information with her mistress so that her enemy, right? Her captor, Captain Naaman, can be healed. She must have been a pretty extraordinary young lady because her mistress actually trusts her word, takes her word for it. right? And and not only that, but Captain Naaman believes her and takes her seriously enough to take this information. And he goes to his king, um, Ben-Hadad II of Syria, and he basically asks him, hey, there is this prophet in our enemy territory, Israel, and I want to go. So can you work out the diplomatic political relations so that um, that can be arranged? So then King Ben-Hadad II sends a letter to the king of Israel saying, hey, can you give safe passage to my um, commander, to Naaman, for him to go through your land to go see this man? And so we pick up the story in Second uh, Kings chapter 5, verses 9 onwards. It says that Captain Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spawn and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Why was Naaman so angry? Well, there's a few reasons. You know, He had come all the way from Syria. This was his only hope. Right, and 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 he he had these expectations of what would happen. So, for example, he said, "I thought he would surely come out to greet me." You know, he is the commander of the army. He's used to people coming out and giving him a parade, and so he comes to this you know lowly Israelite in his eyes because he had conquered this land. Right, they're they're inferior to him, and instead of coming out and greeting him and and showing him the honor and and and, and respect due to him, Elisha had just sent out his servant, Gehazi, to deliver this message. So his pride is wounded. He's quite insulted. Also, like I said, he had traveled all the way from uh, from Damascus to Dothan. So here's a map. Um, so he's from Syria. He's from Damascus area. And he comes all the way down to where Elisha is. And it's a long journey, and so he's wondering, "Well, you haven't even invited me in, right?" Elisha has not come out to greet him. He has not invited him in. He has merely sent a servant to say, "Go wash in the pool, or not in the pool. Sorry, the river." And his prejudices are also provoked. Are not he says, "Are not all the rivers in Syria better than the river here, the Jordan River in Israel?" Right? He's thinking, "We're better than you. Why do I have to wash here in this?" Jordan River. Why can't I just go home and, 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 and go in one of my rivers that are much better than yours? Right? You can really sense not only is his pride provoked, but his prejudices, his, his, his uh, worldview is all coming out here. You know, At that time, they believed if one nation conquers another, that means their gods are, more, are stronger than the conquered lands gods. And so he's beginning to really doubt and he's, he's, you know, all his expectations of what he thought would happen is, is being challenged. The the prescription itself is also something he wasn't expecting, right? He says, hey, I expected you to come out, wave your hand over my body, call on the name of your God, and then boom, I would be healed, right? He had this idea of how it would happen. But that's not what he's told to do. He's told to do something that doesn't make any sense, to go wash in the River Jordan, to wash seven times. He wants instantaneous magical change. And wouldn't that be nice if that's how change worked? Don't we all wish we could receive instantaneous, magical, physical, spiritual, emotional healing with the wave of the hand, right? With call on his name, right? And just, you say the right words, you do the right motions, and boom, change happens. And while it's true that God can provide instant results, right? He sometimes does, in his wisdom, provide miracles that just happen all of a sudden you know, so that people are healed all of a sudden or that, you know, you can quit and stop your addictions cold turkey and never look back or that suddenly you feel love for your enemy. But sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes God doesn't take away our problems straight away. Instead, he works a different kind of miracle. Because God's ultimate purpose is not just to make us whole, but to teach us to trust and love him. Not just to declare us holy, but to make us holy. Not just to give us change, but to develop in us a character of change. He wants genuine, lasting, internal change of who we are and not just what we do or don't do. A lot of times we're like Naaman, wanting change, but not wanting the God who makes change possible. We want supernatural things to be done to us and for us rather than in us and through us. In the analogy of the mountain climber, you know, we want to be teleported up to the top of the mountain. But the point is not just being on top of the mountain. The point is the climb, right? A lot of times when we go somewhere, um, I asked Roy, you know, if we're about to go on a hike, I like, okay, well, is there a way we can like drive? How far up can we drive so that we can minimize the actual hike, right? So that I can see the view. I like the view. But that's not why climbers climb mountains, right? It's not just for the view. It's for that journey. It's it's to see, can I do this? It's for the trek. It's for the the challenge of going up. And God's goal is to make us individuals who are not just seeing the view, but who are capable of climbing the mountain in the first place, who undertake that journey with him step by step, learning to trust in the master's guide. And that may mean that we're not even on the mountain yet. We're still on flat ground training, or maybe we're just, we're actually in the valley. To actually become mountain climbers, it takes time It takes repeated willingness, it takes commitment, it takes surrender and humility where we say, okay God, not my way, but your way. Not my feelings, but your feelings. Not my logic, but your word. Not my pace, but in your time. This is what Captain Naaman needed to learn. The preacher Dwight L. Moody said, Naaman lost his temper, then he lost his pride. Then he lost his leprosy. That is generally the order in which proud, rebellious sinners are converted. Naaman turned away in anger, right? His pride hurt, right? His prejudice provoked. His expectations shattered. And, and, his, and his logic and, 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 his, and everything that he thought completely challenged. And in and, and his anger and fury, he turns away and he almost loses out on everything. But then... He's got this servant, God has surrounded Naaman with good servants, and, and his servant says, "Hey, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, "Wash and be cleansed?" You see the, You see the servant very wisely understands that you know Naaman is um it's not that it's difficult to go into the river, right? physically, it's not difficult. But he understands that this is mentally and emotionally, right? Very difficult for Captain Naaman. He understands, hey, there's there's something that you need to just change in your cognitive reasoning to enable you to do this actually quite simple thing. You see, in Eastern culture, it's very shameful for a, a high class, upper class man to take off his clothes in public and go into the river, right? they have public baths for that kind of thing, uh, private baths, sorry, in, in their domain, you know, where they have their, their servants, you know, and these these heated pools and, and uh, their perfume and their oils. They don't, these upper class, you know, gentlemen and commanders, they don't go into the river like little children to wash themselves. And so the servant understands this is something that is difficult internally, but actually he says, hey, if, 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 the, if the prophet had asked you to climb the highest tower and fight dragons, you would have done it because you want healing that badly. But because of this simple request, right? He says, can't, can't you do the simple thing, wash and be cleansed? And this challenge ca- pa- uh, causes Naaman to pause and to realize that it is, it is his pride, right? It's a simple thing that doesn't make sense to him. And so he's, un- he's been unwilling to consider it. But now he realizes, wait a second. Isn't it worth trying? It's a great question. If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? It's a great question because we like to accomplish things. By our own power, by our own strength, we can prove that we're worthy, right? We would prefer that than the simple command, wash and be cleansed. You know, Naaman is is the commander. He's, he's, He's used to, you know, fighting and showing his valiance, you know, proving himself in battle. He's used to accomplishing his way through his goals. But to be told to accept grace was a really difficult thing, even for us. Salvation by grace is difficult to embrace for those of us who like to achieve, right? We're so used to the whole world being structured in such a way that, you know, the the best working, the, the most talented, they get the prize, right? Survival of the fittest. And so when God comes to us and says, actually, salvation is for the weakest. Weakest in the sense that you can do nothing to earn it. It is a gift. Just wash and be cleansed. Just be baptized and be forgiven of all your, all your sins. Right? And I will make you new. That is such a, a difficult thing for us to embrace. But what caused him to change his mind? He wanted the healing. And he knew there was nothing he could do to achieve it. And that he needed to surrender his pride and his prejudice, his fears, his expectations his worldview and simply obey, and so it says he went down to the river Jordan, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. I like how it says dipped you know hes he was told wash and be cleansed right seven times, and he dips he he's he's doing it, but he's hes he's um yeah, I'm sure he had a lot of thoughts and questions. He dipped himself on Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Naaman changed his priorities. Healing became more important than his pride and dignity. He changed his attitude from, from anger and frustration and disappointment to humility and obedience and hope faith maybe this will work it changed his behavior by turning the chariot around right he was about to head home he turned it around and headed to the jordan river if we want real lasting change we must accept that change does not happen the way that we expect but through surrender to god's word god's ways god's time it requires trust and patience and perseverance What would have happened if Naaman had dipped his toes and and then, oh, the water is too cold, too dirty, too commonplace, and then turned around? Or what if he he had dipped and washed himself once, twice, three times, looked at his skin and saw no change, was discouraged and gave up? If he had stopped at dip number six, what would have happened? It wasn't until the seventh time that naming came out of the water that his flesh became that it says of a little boy, right? So not just healed, but actually made new. Process to change requires perseverance. You know, Micah is learning the piano. And he's getting better and better and, and we can see that and it actually it's quite encouraging to, to and exciting to see him getting better at the piano. But it's interesting to me because every time he has to learn a new song, right? And the very first time he plays it, he of course makes mistakes because it's, it's a new song. But he gets so upset. And I ask him, what's the matter? And he says, I don't want to make mistakes, right? Right. And it frustrates him that he can't get it perfectly the first time. But I tell him, how can you get it right the first time, right? Learning and failing and making mistakes is how you learn. And you're going to just have to keep practicing and practicing until it becomes easier. But he wants it to be perfect straight away. But no one is born a great musician. You have to practice and practice and practice. You have to persevere and make mistakes and be willing to, uh, to fail along the way. But, you know, if I think about it, even as grown-ups, we don't like failure. We we read the Bible a few times, maybe for a few months, but then we give up and we don't discover spiritual insights right away or encounter God's spirit naturally. And we kind of think, ah, I've given it a go. Or we might pray for someone or some something and after a while, when it doesn't happen, we we stop praying for it we might resist temptation a few times but when we keep failing we might be reluctant to try again because we want change to happen quickly and we and we don't like failing but change takes time change takes failure learning mistakes so that we can get better and better change takes repeated failures before getting through that breakthrough where you can play that song where you can climb that mountain where you can hear God and become like him. Perseverance is that steady persistence in the course of action, a purpose, especially in spite of difficulties and obstacles or discouragement. It's about carrying on, getting back up day after day, even if we don't see the results right away. Trying new things, asking for help, trusting that even though we can't see change, that change is happening and that change is possible because God is with us. Going back to the mountain climbing analogy, it is impossible for us to climb Mount Everest, right? Because it's too high, you know, it's too far, and it's too cold. But imagine if you had somebody who came and gave you all the equipment, right? And, 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 fit you up so that you're warm and that you've got everything you need. And this person has climbed Mount Everest many times. They've conquered it. They know every path and they take you step by step. And that's what Jesus does for us, right? He he doesn't just say, okay, go climb the mountain, right? He goes with us. He's with us every step of the way. He's encouraging us, right? He shows us the way and he gives us that supernatural ability to make it there. No amount of self-control or perseverance can truly change us from our inner core. But God can change us through the Holy Spirit. All things are possible with Him, and He does make us into a new creation. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1-3 to say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, Jesus has already climbed that mountain. He already climbed that hill of Golgotha, climbed the cross, And he suffered and died for us. He knows what it's like to resist temptation. He knows what it's like to be in extreme suffering. He knows what it's like to be betrayed and lonely. He has been there before. And so he says, I can guide you step by step through what you're going through now. I can guide you step by step to to the change that you desire, to the wholeness he, he has in mind for us. And as he climbs with us, giving us that encouragement, giving us that ability, giving us that comfort and strength, right? He takes our burdens when we fall. And he leads us to quiet waters. And in those extraordinary moments when we think, I can't do it anymore, he lifts us up on eagles' wings so that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for he is with us. It's not about the height we climb. It's about the relationship that we build with him along the way. When Captain Naaman was healed, he exclaimed, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. And so he returned to Syria as a follower of God. It was a miracle that Naaman was cured of his leprosy but it was a greater miracle that this Syrian commander surrendered his pride and his prejudice, his fears and worldview and committing to worshiping the God of Israel. We want our circumstances to change, for COVID to go away, for other people to change, for answers to to our prayers, and God cares about all of those things. But in 2021, let's pray for a greater miracle as well, to surrender what we can't control, and to embrace the journey of faith with God to walk by prayer and not by sight. I want to invite you to join me for a 7-day devotional challenge. It is a 7-day challenge through the Lord's prayers. So every day there's a little devotional thought to teach us to move from worry to hope, from anxiety and fear to faith. And it's it's a devotional through the Uversion Bible app, which most of you have on your mobile phone. And if you don't have it on your mobile phone, that's okay. You can also join us online uh, through a desktop computer. This is the QR code. If you go to it, the link should come up. And you just click Accept Invitation. And basically, it starts tomorrow. And every day for the next seven days, we invite you to read the devotional. And there's a little Bible verse passage for the day. Excuse me. <coughs> And then um, there's an option to also share your thoughts and your questions and your reflections with the group. So I'm really, really looking forward to doing this with you, to discovering how we can pray through our anxiety and our desire for change and how we can actually support each other through that and, and learn to submit to God through it. John W. Peterson was a magician who, during World War II, served as an Army Air Force pilot. And after the war, he was sitting in um, class one day when his thoughts carried him back to the times and he was flying over the beautiful mountains and valleys and rivers and clouds. And as he was thinking about, man, you know, how wonderful that was and how, how powerful God is as creator, he all of a sudden realized that same God died for him on the cross. And he was overwhelmed with the enormity of the truth. And he wrote these words to a popular um, hymn that says this. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when He saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. And that same power that created the heavens and the earth with His Word, that same power can make us new, can recreate us, and bring us the change that we desire. And so I pray that in 2021, that my life and your life may be miracles of God's love and grace. God bless. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for journeying with us to this point. Forgive us for throwing tantrums along the way, for getting discouraged, for thinking you had abandoned us, for walking away sometimes. Father, help us to realize that it's it's not about getting to where we want to be so much as the journey with you, learning from you, learning to surrender. Help us, Father God, to let go of our pride and our prejudices and our fears and our, and our thoughts of what can and cannot be and our expectations and to learn to accept and embrace grace and salvation and your will for what it is follow you even if it doesn't make sense even if it goes against what we would like and help us in our obedience to to discover healing and wholeness and salvation and a new commitment to you and father we ask for a special healing for our beloved um, friend ruth and for others who might be going through a really difficult time whether it's physically Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, Father, or relationally, we ask for a special healing upon them. We believe that you can bring about this healing. But more importantly, Father, we also believe that through that process of healing, that you are with us every step of the way. And so, Father, we ask for greater humility and trust in 2021. And for all those um, who are journeying with us through the Bible Reading Challenge, Father, um May it really bless us and help us to discover how to pray better and how to listen better and obey you so that in 2021, we really can experience the miracle of change. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.